Daniel 6, verses 3 through 5. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of the government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. This is the word of the Lord for us. Well, it's that time of year, isn't it? Time for resolutions. How many of you have made a resolution for this new year? I'm not going to ask you to share what it is, but how many of you have made a resolution for this new year? How many of you are going to make a resolution for this new year, probably in the next week or so? And how many of you are making a resolution not to make any more resolutions? <laughs> it's that time of year, isn't it? Uh, and, and I'll confess in my own life that uh, the New Year's resolutions are getting a little predictable. <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of repeating what I've done over the last years. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm going to spend more time with my family. It's, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to do that project that I've been putting off for a decade, but this is going to be the year, you know, maybe this year I'll get that project done. As you talk with people, um, I think the same is true. They're, they're, they're fairly predictable. It's like, this year is going to be the year that we save the money and we're better with our finances. This year is the year that I quit smoking um, or that I do that um, fitness goal that I've so been longing for. Uh, of course, as, as we poll people to see what their resolutions are, right at the top of the list, you would guess, are those health and fitness goals. You know, it's like, we, we all, like virtually everyone who's making a resolution or multiple resolutions has at the top of their list that lose those 10 pounds or 50 pounds that we need to lose, which after all the eggnog and Christmas cookies, we probably all really do need that anyway. But those are the things we see in terms of resolutions. Um, now, I recently read that you're not supposed to eat. This is a health and fitness tip. You're not supposed to eat before bed. So I'm pondering that. But okay, bear, bear with me on this. You're not supposed to eat before bed. But if that's true, then why do they put a light in the refrigerator? You know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on that. <laughs> um, but we all know what happens with resolutions as well, right? So we make the resolution, but then... Most of them last about two weeks. Or, or the research says sometime in February, so maybe six weeks or eight weeks. They, they last a short period. So the cycle is we make a resolution, but then we break the resolution. And then we probably remake that same resolution. I'm guilty of that, and you probably are as well. I didn't do it the one year that I said I was going to, but maybe this year I will accomplish this resolution. And so we're in this cycle. Maybe this year I'll spend more time with my family. Maybe this year I'll stop all of those really bad spending habits that I have. Maybe this year I will help others more, or I'll get healthier, or I, this year will be the year that I'm not so set in my ways. <laughs> hey, listen, I can be spontaneous. I just need enough time to plan for it. <laughs> what if... The maybe this year, and you've probably noticed by now that that's the sermon series we're going to be in for this month, but what if the maybe this year actually happened? 
What, what if maybe this year actually came true in 2023? So that's really what I want to harp on and, and talk about this morning. Yes, we will be in the, in the scriptures. But I guess part of what I'm getting at here is what if in, instead of making a resolution to improve your health or your marriage or your finances, what if you came to the Lord, and I think we have that opportunity today, it's January 1st, it's the first day, the start of a new year. What if we came to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you have for me in 2023? I wonder if that would be a better posture than, hey, guys, I'm going to accomplish these six things. What if we came to the Lord and said, Lord, what do you have for me in 2023? And then, it doesn't end there, but then we faithfully, diligently, and yes, imperfectly committed to doing that. I have a hunch that things would change for us, especially in terms of spiritual fitness. Spiritual fitness. So I would say, whether you're the kind of person who makes resolutions or not, we've all had that experience of failing. We, we've had a goal, and we've fallen miserably short of it. So I'm not suggesting yet another resolution where you set out to achieve, like, spiritual, you know, giant status within the next 12 months, <laughs> you know, where, where it's like, okay, in these next 12 months, I'm going to accomplish all of these things and become all that I can possibly be. I'm challenging us to consider today at the onset of a new year, would we position ourselves for spiritual growth? Would we humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you have for me in 2023? And that spiritual growth, I should point out, as I'm viewing it, it wouldn't be just for this calendar year. It would actually continue to progress throughout your lifetime. Not just a one-year thing, throughout your lifetime. No matter what your age. You might be a young person, a student. You might be middle-aged. You might be in your later golden years. But that you would continue to grow and get fit spiritually for all of the time frame that God has for you. So here's what we're going to do over the next five weeks. We're going to explore some tried and true ways to get spiritually fit. And so I do think for some of us this morning, you know, we, we came to church on January 1st. And I'm like, well, I didn't have spiritual goals on my, on my resolution list. Well, maybe you should consider that. Like, do you want to grow as a prayer warrior this year? I know I do. Do you want to grow in your uh, biblical knowledge this year? You want to, you want to know the Bible even better? Do you, do you want this year, if God allows, to lead a friend or loved one to Christ? So what we're going to do over these next five weeks is explore these tried and true ways to get spiritually fit. I want to, I want to encourage us. Let's start off the new year with learning habits aimed at growing in Christ. And it's not so we can say, I achieved my goals. I, I met my resolutions and I checked it all off by September. <laughs> you know, there are those who do that. I got them all done. I, I met every goal before the holiday season hit. It's not so we, it's so that we can cultivate healthy lives. It's, well, it's like I say each and every week, where, where our hearts and homes are growing stronger in the Lord. That's the hope and that's the goal. And so I'm grateful that you're here with us. Last week we were disappointed that uh, due to weather, road conditions, 
uh, level two in Holmes and Wayne counties, we, we had to forego our service. Um, we had a few people who showed up in the sanctuary last Sunday. When, when we do an online service only, we just show up with a skeleton crew, you know, a couple people in the tech booth, and, um, and so it's usually just kind of an empty room. We had three people who showed up last Sunday who hadn't gotten the memo, and so we had a very small congregation. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a joy to actually gather with our larger church family this morning. I do want to wish you a happy new year. Uh, God has good things in store for MCA this year, and so we're going to lean into that. Uh, not, in, not in a brash way to say, look what we can do, but in a way that positions us to say, Lord, what do you have for us in 2023? And then to diligently, faithfully, yes, imperfectly pursue those things. So let's start this morning with a lesson from history. Students, you're on winter break. You're like, I thought I was out of history class. Nope, you're getting one this morning. The year was AD, around AD 400. The Roman Empire that had been so big, so dominant, so successful, so far-reaching, fell apart. Yes, the Roman Empire was decimated. Europe, which is where that Roman Empire had taken root and taken hold, had been invaded, and they had been taken over, essentially. So there were various people groups. There were tribal pagan groups. The Gauls, the Visigoths, the Vandals, other barbarian people groups had swept in from the east, and then Europe became this patchwork of these pagan tribes. There were tribes of bloodshed and violence and war and superstition and darkness. When that happened, the sort of central or capital location of Christianity was relocated. It it left Rome and went to Constantinople. Basically, it went out of Europe and into what is today Istanbul. And what happened was the church fell into great disarray. The church fell into, uh, in most places, the church disappeared altogether. There, There was, there was, not meant, there were not many signs of light and hope and truth and people following Christ. And so it was the beginning of a period of time in Western civilization that you've heard of. Anybody know what it's called? The Dark Ages. And it lived up to its name. It was a dark time for centuries on end. So periods of hundreds of years, there, there was corruption, <laughs> They were lacking in civil authority, no reliable system of justice. It was just this time of chaos and darkness and disarray. But in the beginning of the 7th century, there was another group of people who swept into Western Europe. And they came from probably one of the most unlikely of places, a place that was considered insignificant, unsophisticated, irrelevant. But in came a group of people who kind of riding in on the white horse, saved the day, spiritually speaking. I'm talking about Celtic monks. Celtic monks. They they started coming in to Western Europe from this group of of islands uh, on the far, far edge of Western Europe. And what they did was they brought light into that darkness. Celtic monks are really who initiated the end of the Dark Ages. And they were this ragtag group. They were unsophisticated. They were, uh, as I said, unlikely. They were these kind of courageous missionaries who brought the truth of Jesus to Europe. And so they were a key part in bringing Western civilization out of the darkness and what then led to be millions of people into a relationship with Jesus. 
And so as I studied this movement, this, this uh, historical phenomenon, I noticed that this group of Celtic monks oriented their lives around two places, and si- both places are similar in that they are circular. So the Celtic monk oriented his life around, firstly, what was known as the cell. So a cell was this round, circular-shaped hut. It was a dwelling place. These were, uh, these were people who chose simple living. We can appreciate that in our community. They chose very simple living. And so the cell was basically a mud hut, had a thatched roof. And, and it was there in the cell that the monk would learn how to pray. And, and, and he would learn discipline. And I won't go into all, all the details, right? Um, we're not Catholics. <laughs> I won't go into all the details of, of what they did, but they learned discipline in their life. They learned how to pray. They learned how to seek the Lord, how to curb their appetites. It, it was there that they sort of were, were steeled. They were galvanized in their faith in becoming these really remarkable spiritual people before they launched out into this extraordinary mission that changed the world. So the first is the cell. The second is the coracle. Now, a coracle is actually a boat. It's a circular boat, though. It's, it's interesting. It basically looks like a big wicker basket. Um, it displaces a lot of water, so you can actually fit a couple of people in. These guys would go two by two, so you could fit a few in it. These are used for fishing, by the way, and the monks would utilize that as well. So, so these coracles could hold. They were small but circular. Again, like kind of a large wicker basket could hold two people and basically a haul of fish and maybe a small amount of uh, items and belongings. By the way, do you know where boats go when they're sick? To the boat dock. I was losing some of you there when I was going in the history lesson. I assure you we're going to get into the scripture in just a minute in the book of Daniel. But this, this fascinating movement took place with Celtic monks who went two by two. And they went from the cell to the coracle. And what happened was they would go down to the river... And, and board their boat. Before, before they launched off on this journey, though, they would pray. And their prayers would, would something, go something like, okay, a prayer to the God of heaven, that he would use the wind and the waves, the current and the tides, to take them wherever he would have them go. And then they launched off. They set out. And wherever their boat, their vessel, this coracle, hit land... Wherever they, wherever they landed, that's where they believed the Holy Spirit had sent them. And that's where they unloaded and began to minister and bring the light of Jesus. The, these followers of Jesus, who were from a, a tradition very different from um, our own, from, from most of us, were so committed to bringing the light of Christ into a dark world. People that were trapped in all sorts of darkness and sin we see these people, these Celtic monks, and they were, they were dedicated to these two places, the cell and the coracle. And they became a huge part of what the Lord did. And so with that, I want us to turn to the book of Daniel. Now, this story isn't new to you. You've heard the story of Daniel since you were in Sunday school. But what's fascinating is reading or hearing the story of Daniel through the lens of the cell and the coracle. Because we actually see this same principle played out in the life and ministry of Daniel and how the Lord used him. 
Uh, let me give a brief recap, but you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. I'll, I'll give a, a brief uh, recap, and then we'll read through this story together. Uh, Brian read a few of these verses for us already. But Daniel, of course, is a Hebrew, but he finds himself in Babylon. Why? Well, the people of God had sinned and rebelled against God, and so the Lord allowed the Babylonians to conquer them. And so Daniel, along with many others, were taken as exiles. So they were taken out of their homeland, the promised land. They were taken to live in Babylon, in, like right in the heart of pagan enemy territory. They're taken as exiles. And so they were expected, well, and really this was part of the plan in, in getting exiles, is we want to indoctrinate them with our practices and philosophies and ways of thinking. But Daniel was extraordinary because he simply refused to adopt the Babylonian customs. And so when they were like, here's what you're supposed to eat, he was like, mm-mm. And they're like, here's how we worship our false gods. He was like, not going to happen. Like, so, so he refused to go along with the ways they wanted to operate. He didn't act the way they acted. He refused to become assimilated to their pagan ways. Why? Because he was faithful to God. And so if we look closely at his life, what we're going to see is that he was in prayer, connecting with the Lord in, I think, what we could call his cell, in his personal living quarters. And that then launched him into and galvanized his ability to minister in his coracle, which was Babylon. And so let's turn to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to kind of go through these, this story together this morning. So let's just start at the, the beginning in, in verse 1. So book of Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The king is now Darius. And the scripture says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of which was Daniel. Now the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So here's what we learn there. Daniel's already in the top three. As an outsider, as a foreigner, he's already one of the top three, and the king is planning on making him the number one guy, like the guy who oversees the entire empire. Daniel had dedicated himself year over year over year to personal spiritual disciplines, like he had a close walk with Christ. He, he learned the ways of God by seeking the face of God, even when he found himself in a peg in a place, in his cell. Now, it, it doesn't uh, take much of an imagination to realize that the other administrators, most likely Babylonians, didn't take too kindly to the Hebrew boy who was going to come in and become their boss, right? I mean, so uh, we see this in our own workplaces when there's jealousy, like, oh, you got the promotion. Why is it you? So imagine this is an outsider who they already despise, and the king is saying, yep, he's going to get the big promotion. And so they did not take too kindly to the fact that Daniel is essentially being groomed to become their boss. He's going to be in charge of the whole kingdom. So we're at verse 4, Daniel chapter 6. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find ground for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do 
with the law of his God. Hmm. So the result of Daniel's dedication to this point, he's had this private, personal, spiritual growth, seeking the face of God. He's been in the cell in his personal living quarters. It's become so evident, even to his enemies, that they talk the king into issuing this edict, right? And again, we, we know the story. You're familiar with this story. But they, they convince the king that they sh- there should be only worship to him for a set period of time. Well, of course, he goes along with that. That's fine. Why would anyone worship anyone else? You know, it's like, this is what we do in our kingdom. I, I tell you what to eat, and you eat it. I tell you who to worship, and you worship. So they approach the king. They talk him into issuing this edict. You cannot pray to any god except the king himself, or, or what's going to be the punishment? Somebody help me. Throne to the lions. They're going to overpower you. I mean, it's going to be basically, hopefully, hopefully fairly painless in that it's going to be quick. But you're going to be devoured. You're going to be ripped apart limb from limb and devoured by the beasts. So Daniel is put to the test. All the times where, where he has sought the Lord. All the times where he has prayed, Lord, help me to be faithful to you. Lord, I seek you. Lord, I long to do your will. Now he's at the crossroads. It's all been positive to this point. It's, you know, his, his, the life he has lived, I mean, it has set him apart so that he has managed to climb these ranks in the enemy territory. He's third in, in command. He's soon to be number one in command. It has served him well, but now he's going to have to stop praying altogether or he's going to be thrown to the lions. And you know what Daniel does. Daniel does what Daniel's always done. He says, I'm going to keep praying. He's not going to compromise his own personal spiritual disciplines. And so jump to verse 10 in Daniel chapter 6. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. See that? I want you, I want you to look there again. Just as he had done before. I'm not going to just say, I'm going to pray silently. They'll never know I'm praying. That way I'll, I'll appease God, but also not get thrown to the lions. He's like, this is what I do. Because my God is big. My God is great. And I'm going to keep seeking him. Because it's in this place, this, these personal living quarters, where I connect with the guy who created me, with the God who loves me. And so he does just as he had done before. I'm going to continue to strengthen my relationship with God because God is all I have. I'm going to allow that relationship, that work that God does in the cell, to then overflow to the world around me. And if that means they want to throw me to the lions, then so be it. But he, he, he is galvanized in his faith and in his dedication to the Lord. So, of course, because of doing this, Daniel is arrested. Daniel is sentenced to death by being thrown into the lion's. Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den. And God saves him. God did just what Daniel knew God could do. And says to the lion's mouths shut. So Daniel spends the night 
with the ferocious beasts, but is totally unharmed, totally unscathed. Right? They, they didn't use their... The, the, the scripture tells us that the Lord, the Lord closed the mouths of the lions. Well, yes, he did that, but the Lord also settled those beasts down because they could have used their claws. <laughs> right? They could have put their weight on him and they could have knocked him around. They didn't do that. He's totally unscathed. These, these beasts that the Lord commands and controls had no issue with Daniel being in their midst. And the king realizes what has happened. The king, who would be uh, the biggest, most powerful, most important person in all the land, has a moment where he realizes there's something, there's someone who's bigger than I am, who's more powerful than I am. And look what happens. Let's let's jump down to verse 25. We're in Daniel chapter 6. And then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. This guy's going, I saw Daniel thrown to these ferocious beasts. No one dares to stand in their presence. And yet, Daniel, as this representation of a a totally different kingdom, he won't bow down to our gods, he won't even eat our foods, he won't adopt our customs, he defies the king, and he can't be harmed. And so, this king deduces then, this kingdom can't be destroyed. If lions can't take it out, nothing can, like, like he's, he's, he's a pretty intelligent guy. And he reasons and reckons that this God of Daniel is one that cannot be defeated and cannot be destroyed. So he says his kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm not sure I got all of that when I learned the Sunday school lesson all those years ago. That what God did was he took Daniel, who was a man who simply said, I'm not going to capitulate and I'm not going to bow down and I'm not going to do your things. But Daniel, we're going to throw you to the lions if you pray to your God. Well, guess where I'm going? I'm going up to my room and I'm going to pray. Not once, not twice, three times every day because that's what I do. And in that boldness and courage that stemmed from his cell, from his personal connection with the Lord, comes this public platform, the coracle of Babylon, where the Lord had sent him. The Lord put him there. Where now, the king of Babylon is sending out a memo to all the people. Are you catching this? Like, this is not just a few people who witnessed Daniel and who were there peeking in going, oh, wow, the lions didn't eat him. This is all of the people in the entire Babylonian empire being told from their king, I'm not the one in charge. It's another leader, ruler, king, God, and it's the God of Daniel. He's the one who cannot be defeated. He cannot be destroyed. He rescued this man from the lions. And so everyone in the entire kingdom is told to worship God. (laughs) They're they're told that this is the one you should truly worship. This is the one you should pray to. Stop praying to me. 
I'm a mere mortal. So through Daniel's actions, again, this is huge. Like, like I mentioned the Celtic monks and how basically they get credit for ending the, the dark ages, bringing the light of Christ. Daniel, through his obedience, changed this entire kingdom. And notice, it was because of his dedication in these two places. The cell of his own room where he spent time in spiritual discipline. And the coracle. The Lord had led him to Babylon. Why? To change it, to transform it, to bring light into a dark place. And really, this is the biblical pattern. This is what I think the Lord wants to do in our lives this year. And I'm not against your resolutions. I'm not against the wanting to lose the weight or to quit the bad habits or those things. What I'm suggesting is, would we come to the Lord this morning and say, Lord, what do you have for me in 2023? And then pursue it faithfully, diligently, imperfectly. Pursue what the Lord has for us, that he would transform us in those places. And I love the way our church is designed and set up that, that we have core groups. And what better time to encourage you to jump into a core group than the first Sunday of a new year. You know, if you haven't made that step, if you haven't submitted yourself in loving Christian community, do so. But I think in some ways that serves as a, as a cell. It, and it's certainly also your own personal quiet time and devotions where the Lord speaks to you and you quiet your heart before him and you seek his face and you grow spiritually. And then, of course, you know our, our mission, and we share it every Sunday as we gather, it's to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. That we're not just a holy huddle. We're not just going to cloister together. Everybody's in, lock the doors but we're going to go out from this place. We're going to gather to worship and be fed and be encouraged and, and built up. But then we're going to go out. We're going to go into the world carrying the light of Christ. We're going to share the good news that we have about Jesus that others would hear and believe. And so this is the biblical pattern. This is, this is as we look at the lesson from history, this is what the Celtic monks were able to accomplish. This is what Daniel did in this amazing, extraordinary passage that we've learned in Sunday school. And I believe this is what the Lord has for MCA in 2023. This beautiful, biblical pattern of the cell and the coracle. So I do want to encourage you with that, that instead of those same old... <laughs> worn out, predictable, usual resolutions, you know, self-improvement that you want to do. What if today you just simply said, I want to grow closer to Christ. I want to impact the world in whatever ways God has for me. And I want you to know, the Lord will use you. That The Lord will grow you. He will mature your faith. And he will send you out on mission for him. Man, I hope that happens. I do hope, again, there, there's, there's nothing about these next 12 months that we have to accomplish everything. I see it as, let's, ha let's allow the Lord to start some good things that last a lifetime. But what if you look back on your life and you're like, it was 2023. That was the year. That was the year that I grew closer to the Lord than ever before. And that God used my life to bring hope into the places where I live, where I go to school, where I work. And so I want to encourage us to learn from these Celtic monks. Again, their lives centered around two places, the cell and the cortical. Now, I also want to be clear about what this challenge is and what this challenge isn't. So 
It's not try harder to be a good Christian in this new year. If I come up to you and say, what's your spiritual goal for 2023? I don't want to hear you say, well, I'm going to really work hard at being a better Christian this year. That's not what this challenge is. I don't want to hear you say, I want to pray more this year. I want to read the Bible more this year. I want to sin less this year. I, I, I want to be, you know, just a better follower of Jesus. I want to do more good deeds. I want to build more relationships. I want to help more people. Like all of those are good things. I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. You should commit your life to prayer to growing in Christ, to serving others, yes. Those are good things, but that's not the challenge today. If you want 2023 to be that year, you can kind of look back on, maybe even the rest of your life, and say, wow, that was a significant year. That was a year of of spiritual transformation in my own life. That was a year of impact on the world around me that I want you to consider. And maybe, maybe a good use of our time this morning would be to take a moment even now. We don't have our Sunday school hour this morning. You probably got that memo. So we'll dismiss here in a few minutes and you'll be on your way. But maybe it would be a good use of our time to consider now, what is your cell? What is your coracle? So what's that place that you're going to go to over and over and over again consistently in the coming year? You know, for a lot of people, having one set place, one particular place where you get quiet before the Lord, you open the Bible, maybe you have worship music playing or whatever suits you best, whatever environment works best for you. Moms of preschoolers, we know it's in the bathroom with the door locked. (laughs) No, you, you don't have any place that's safe. The kids always find their way in there as well. But what what is your cell? What is that place that you're going to go to consistently to meet with the Lord? Where you're going to get quiet before the Lord, seek the Lord. You're going to do that soul searching and just laying yourself bare before the Lord. God, deal with anything and everything in my life and heart. God, what do you have for me in this new year? God, I want to have an impact in the places where you send me. So what is your cell? It's probably worth considering this morning. And then, of course... Where's your coracle? You step in and you say, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. May the winds of the Lord send me to just where you want me to go. Where has the Lord directed the currents and tides of your life? I think we talked about this earlier in the year. Didn't we? We did the, in the fall, we did the Love Where You Live series. And we talked about you thought that you were choosing your house and your home and your neighborhood for certain reasons. But it was actually God who was choosing that for you. Where has God directed the tides and currents of your life so that he has you? What neighborhood are you in? What workplace has God chosen and selected for you? What school? What town or village or city? Or even in your own home? That God has placed you there. That there are people there who God wants you to bless, inspire, encourage, commit to pray for. Where has the Lord sent you? Where is it that in this new year, galvanized by the cell of personal, spiritual devotion and connection with the Lord, that God is sending you and wants to use you to share the life-giving power of Jesus? And then to simply say, okay, God... I don't know how this is going to happen, and I feel a little trepidation about this happening, but here am I, Lord. And I'm going to obediently, faithfully, diligently, and imperfectly carry out all that you have for me, O God. 
And I, I want to identify this morning that a real hang-up for us can be our past. It can be those things that are looming and lingering that happened in yesteryear. We tend to dwell on our mistakes and our failures. We tend to not lean into or even rush into with reckless abandon what God has for us because we're like, yeah, but I remember the ways that I botched this up. I tried that already and it didn't work. And so I just want to give a word of encouragement today. It's a new year. God's mercies are new every morning. And so lean into what God has for you. Press on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't become jaded and cynical. Like, well, I'll never do that. Well, I'm never good. That person's never going to come to Christ. Well, I tried memorizing the Bible. That didn't work. How many times I've said, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. And I've hardly made it past Leviticus. And it's happened seven times. And so, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to read through the Bible this year. Because I've already said that I wanted to try that. And I never actually did it. <laughs> Don't be cynical. Don't be jaded. You know, as, as it relates to reading through the Bible this year, um, hey, I got a suggestion for you. I want you to hear me on this. John's tip for Bible reading in 2023. Are you listening? Get into the scripture today. That's my encouragement. Open the scripture and spend some time with the Lord in the Bible today, January 1st. And then do it again tomorrow. But the encouragement is do it today. Get into the scripture today. You don't have to worry about the, the oncoming 364 days and what you will do or won't do. You don't have to think about the fact that last year you said you were going to read through the whole Bible. But you didn't even make it through the Pentateuch. Don't worry about that. Here's what you can do. Get into the scripture today. Take five minutes and open the word of God. And then tomorrow, as the Lord draws you to himself. And wants to speak to you and impart his great love to you. Say, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to read the truth in the scripture. So here's what Paul encourages us with in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I really don't know of any more practical and relevant advice that I could give uh, on the 1st of January, 2023. Other than to say, you don't have to live life imprisoned by your past. We've all failed. Yes, we can acknowledge that. We've all made commitments that we've fallen short of. We've all set goals and made those resolutions that just simply haven't happened. And I don't want to gloss over that because, because in some of those failures, there is great pain. That we, we have caused hurt. We have painful memories. We think of relationships where we've fallen short. We think of decisions that we've made that, that were wrong. We think of words that we've said that were the wrong thing. But God's word tells us we don't allow our past failures to weigh us down and to keep us from choosing Christ and from growing in him today and then again tomorrow and the next day. God has a good plan for you. A plan filled with hope and a future. I want you to hear this really clearly today. That God loves you no matter what you've done. That as you come to him in sincere faith with gratitude in your heart, confessing your sins, he forgives you. He restores you. 
In fact, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward at the conclusion of the service and be available here in the front. If you want to come and pray this morning, we would love to pray with you. And maybe that's just bearing a burden or, or sharing a hope or a goal for the new year. Or maybe it's, I've never asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of my life. What do I do? What does that mean? Come. We would love to go with you before God's throne of grace and introduce you to the Savior. The one who can rescue you even from the jaws of lions. Now, I, I want to say to you, stop torturing yourself over what you did do or you didn't do. Instead, just press on into God's goodness into God's faithfulness. You're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. You're made clean. What Jesus did on the cross means that those who believe in him are forgiven. We are redeemed. We've been bought with a price. We are no longer our own, but we belong to Christ. I want to close with reading a passage of scripture this morning. It's from Isaiah chapter 43. I don't think we have this on the screen, so I just want you to listen and take it in. The word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 43. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Let's pray together. Gracious Almighty Heavenly Father, you are all-powerful and all-knowing. And so you know our thoughts, you know our attitudes, you know the condition of our hearts. You know the burdens that weigh us down. You know the cynicism that creeps in. And Lord, how we long to come before you without the burden of what we must do, what we need to do, We've got to prove ourselves to those around us. And yes, even to you, oh God, we've got to earn your grace and your reward. Lord, help us to be free of those burdens. And so today, Lord, we confess freely. Yes, we've failed. We've not measured up. We've fallen short of your glory. And Lord, we don't know what's in store for 2023. What we do know is that you're in control and that you're good. And that you are a God of mercy. And so I pray today, in the powerful name of Jesus, that you would break the chains of our past. That those failures that are weighing us down would be loosened. That we would be free to serve you, to worship you, and to walk into the new year with an open heart and open mind saying, Lord, what do you have for me in 2023? that, Lord, you would then accomplish it for your glory, for your kingdom cause. Here we are, Lord. Take us from the cell of our own personal spiritual disciplines into the coracle of the world and the community around us, that we would then share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world. We pray these things in his name, in his name only. Amen.